Good morning. It is good to be here with you. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jackson Randall, and I am an elder here at Grace, and I have the privilege of being able to stand before you and preach the word this morning. So uh, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, my wife, Raylin, and I, we have spent the past two weeks of our life probably like many of you have, and we have spent these past two weeks huddled around our TV watching the Olympics. Uh, maybe, maybe that sounds familiar for you guys, but we've loved it. We love the Olympics. Uh, we watch these sports that we will only watch once every four years, and, and it's, it's a blast. Our, our national pride gets stirred up as we watch these sports, as we watch Michael Phelps win all of these gold medals, Simone Biles, uh, Katie Ledecky, it's just a, it's a sweet thing to be able to watch something so big and these athletes who are competing from, from all over the globe come together and they're the top people in their field. Uh, it's just a really special thing. Well, my wife, uh, as we were watching one night, she made a comment that I found really insightful. She said, isn't it amazing that these people from all over the globe, from all over the world, they, they come together and they have a, a certain sort of unity in that they all play the exact same sort of sport. Uh, they compete by the same rules on the same mats. And, and it just got me thinking, it is crazy that people from all over the world, every ethnicity, uh, all different sorts of culture, people of different religions, people who speak different languages, people from all over value the same things that we value. Everybody thinks that it's really cool if you can jump really high. <laughs> Everybody thinks it's really something special if you can run fast. We all think it's just amazing that people can do multiple flips at the same time in the air. We, we all just drop our mouth at that and stand in amazement. We're, we're united in that awe. Not only that, but, but these athletes are so united in this. They all think this is something worth aspiring to, that they all compete according to the same rules. They all come to the same sort of mat, the same sort of pool, the same sort of track. They use the same language and the same training techniques, and they come together and they compete to see who is the best in the world. Those who compete in the Olympics, they share a certain type of unity and union that is really unique. And so as I've considered this, and I've thought about it a lot as we've watched the Olympics, as you see these different people from all over competing uh, on our TVs, uh, that there is a, a bond that we share. As a, as a human people, as humanity, there is a bond that we share that is so much more significant than people, uh, Olympic athletes share by participating in the 31st Olympiad. We, humanity, are a people all created in the image of God. Every ethnicity, every culture, every person everywhere has been created in the image of God, created for a purpose, to be a worshiper of God, to know and enjoy God, to walk with God, to, to find purpose in God. We've all been created in God's image for a reason. Chiefly that reason is to be worshiping God. We're to be worshipers. And yet, we know the statistics. Even though this is our purpose, there are over 5 billion people on our earth who do not know God, who do not adore God, who do not enjoy God, who do not know their purpose for which they were made, who do not worship God. 
Over five billion people on this earth. This morning, we are going to consider the global mission of the church. The mission of the church, which Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert define in their book, what is the mission of the church, when they say this, the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey His commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. This is a massive mission. This is a God-sized mission. In fact, to speak of the mission of the church is truly to speak of the mission of God, which God graciously invites His church to participate in. This is a a global mission. It is an often dangerous mission. And yet, it's a mission that, that Hudson Taylor, the person who popularized the term Great Commission, spoke of when he said that the, the command in the mission is a command to be obeyed rather than a proposition to be considered. And so every person, everywhere, regardless of your family history, regardless of your social situation, regardless of who you are or what you are like, participation in this mission is necessary. Uh, obedience to this command for the people of God is required. Our topic this morning, therefore, is Great Commission Living. We're going to be continuing our series, The Habits of Grace, and we're going to do that by considering this topic, Great Commission Living. We want to consider the God who is worthy of worship and invites us to participate in His mission, this global mission. And not only that, but we want to consider how when we actually participate and we foster a lifestyle of Great Commission living, that God actually uses that to bless us and to communicate His grace and to cause us to grow. So how does that all look? What is that all about? That's where we'll be this morning. We're going to have a central question uh, that will frame our time spent in the Word. And that question is, why? Why do we devote ourselves to participation in the mission of God. Why do we devote ourselves to Great Commission living? Why? We'll answer that in three ways, and those three ways will become our three points for this morning. First, we participate because God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. We begin with God. We must begin with God. He is the fuel and the reason for missions. And so we start by fixing our eyes on the one who is worthy of worship and the one who is good to worship. We must start there. Second, we participate because God uses our participation to build up the church. He uses us as a means of grace to a lost and dying world. And so this is where we'll, we'll actually see this Great Commission living defined, and, and I hope to offer some practical ways that we might participate in the Great Commission, in the mission of God. And last, we participate because God uses our participation to grow us. It's a means of grace to us. So this is where we'll see uh, how this habit of grace bears upon our lives. So... That's where we'll be this morning. And since we're considering Great Commission living, we are actually going to go to the Great Commission. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And while you're turning, just so we're aware and on the same page, uh, 
what we're going to read comes on the heels of Christ being raised from the dead. And before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he comes to his disciples, to his friends, those who have been following him, and he gives one last message. Of all the things that he could have possibly said to his disciples before he, raised, or before he ascended to the, uh, to the Father, he gives them this message. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Once again, our first point this morning is that we devote ourselves to Great Commission living because God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our devotion, our love, our awe. God is worthy of this worship. And we see that right here in the beginning of the Great Commission, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Here we have the basis for the Great Commission. All authority, every bit of authority, the right and the ability to do whatever has been given to a person, to the person of Jesus Christ by God the Father. Philippians 2 says that Christ, because Christ uh, humbled himself, humbled himself by taking on the form of man, by clothing himself in humanity, and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, everywhere, on earth, above the earth, under the earth, every knee, everywhere, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. There is no rival ruler. There is no rival authority. There is no rival power. There is no angel, no demon, no president, no people group that can stand before Christ. All authority, every bit of authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And this authority given to Jesus, which we see in Matthew 28, it becomes the basis for the Great Commission. It's because of Christ, it's because of his person, who he is, what he's like, his character, and because of his work, what he's done, his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's because of all of this that the Great Commission is given and possible. Missions is backed by the authority of Christ. And what I'd like for us to see in this is that the mission of God begins with God himself. It begins with God himself. Matthew 28 does not begin with us. It does not begin with our clever schemes. It does not begin with our strategy. No, it begins nowhere else rather than the all-sufficient, worthy of worship God. We see this sort of pattern all throughout the scriptures. We fix our eyes on God, the one who is worthy of worship, the one who is awesome and great and magnificent. And then obedience flows out of this worship from his character. We see this pattern in the Psalms. The missional Psalm, 90, Psalm 96 says this, uh, has this idea. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. 
Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous work among all the nations. Who is God? He is the Lord, worthy of singing a new song for. He is a God of glory, might, and salvation, worthy of worship. And once we recognize that he is worthy of worship, then we move to declaring his glory amongst the nations. We declare of his might, his glory, and his salvation amongst all the nations. Psalm 67 has a similar idea. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So here we see that the same thing, God has been gracious to us. He has blessed us and he has made his presence be known amongst us in the person and work of Christ. God has revealed himself as glorious and we fix our eyes on him that the people may know you, that knowledge of Christ may be known amongst all the nations that all the peoples might praise God. In all of scripture, we see this as the pattern. In all of scripture, God himself is the main character. God himself is the main character. He is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. He is the one that Isaiah 6 says, the seraphim cry, holy, holy, holy to. He is the author and initiator of salvation. He is the one who will be the object of worship for all time. Why do we uh, participate in the Great Commission? Why do we participate in the mission of God? Because this is our God. This is our God. I, th- I think we start here. We must start here. We start nowhere else other than God himself. He is the one who is worthy of worship. And then, then we move to the absolute privilege of being able to participate in his mission. We start with God himself and then we move to the privilege of participating in his mission. I think this is why David Platt says, God does not include us in his mission because he needs us, but because he loves us. And in his mercy, he has invited us to be involved in his sovereign design for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is our starting place. God is worthy of worship and God is gracious and good to us in involving us in his mission. We have to get this right. Starting anywhere other than God himself robs us of the fuel of missions. This is our starting place, but it's also the reason why missions exist. It's the reason why missions exist. God is worthy of worship, but God is not worshiped amongst the nations. As the famous John Piper line goes, missions exist because worship doesn't. Once again, there are over 5 billion people on this earth who have not worshiped God in spirit and truth. There are over 5 billion people on this earth who do not know the joy and the peace and the hope of salvation in Christ. There are over 5 billion people on this earth who are still under the just wrath of God, who will experience eternal torment and separation away from the presence of God. What must we do? What must we do? This is a massive mission. This is a massive number to wrap our minds around. What do we do? Do we despair? Do we give up? 
This is too big. Surely we cannot accomplish this mission. Do we resign ourselves to a world lacking in worship to the God who is worthy of worship? Do we ignore? No. Compelled by the glory of God and the love of God, we participate in this mission. We participate. Why? Once again, this is our our second point this morning. Why do we participate? We devote ourselves to Great Commission living. We participate in the mission of God because God uses our participation to build up His church. To build up His church. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here we see God's wisdom and his goodness in dealing with the worship problem that exists on the earth. He pursues the lost. He pursues the lost and he does this through the church. Therefore, in light of Christ, in light of his authority, in light of his character, in light of his work, therefore make disciples. So here we see the what of Great Commission living. What do we do? What do we do in light of this? The Great Commission lays it out for us. Jesus lays it out for us. There's a central command in this passage, and the central command is very simple in some ways and very complex in others. We make disciples. We make disciples. What does that mean? Jesus tells us. We're told to make disciples, and we do that by doing three different things. We do it by going, we do it by baptizing, and we do it by teaching. Three things, going, baptizing, and teaching. Where do we make disciples? Wherever we are, wherever we're going, the expectation that Jesus had when he was given this uh, command to his disciples is that his disciples would be moving around throughout communities, moving around throughout homes, moving around throughout towns, and wherever they were going, they would be making disciples. They would be participating in this mission of God. In a similar way, we are people who are moving around communities. We're moving amongst houses, moving amongst restaurants, moving amongst communities. And wherever we are going, we are to be participating in the mission of God. We are to seek to make disciples. And so what do we do as we go? We make disciples. And what does that mean? First, it means we baptize. We baptize. I don't think this means that we go to a pool and wait for unsuspecting people to turn their heads and we push them in and that's being obedient to Christ's commands? No. What this means is, is that we go and empowered by the Spirit, we proclaim the gospel for conversion. We proclaim the gospel so that empowered by the Spirit, this proclamation would land on people's hearts and they would believe in Jesus for the salvation of their soul. That they would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son that they would go from enemies of God to beloved children of God. We go and we herald this good news. We go and we proclaim Christ, that all might be presented mature in Christ. And so we go uh, seeking to to herald the good news that conversion might happen, that baptism might happen, which which signifies an entrance into the community of God or the church. And so we go seeking that baptism would happen. In other words, that people would know Christ in a salvific sort of way. But that's not all. That's not all we do. We go proclaiming Christ for conversion, but we also go proclaiming Christ for maturity. 
So we don't just baptize, we seek to teach as well. That's uh, seeking conversion is not all there is to discipleship. To, to disciple is to convert and to seek to present mature through the teaching of all of the scriptures, the whole counsel of God. It's teaching others to die to self and to live to Christ. This is the mission. This is the mission. We are to be compelled by the holiness of God, the love of God, and we're to be moved to love others so that wherever we go, we preach the gospel boldly for conversion, and then we preach the gospel boldly for sanctification or for maturity in Christ. And this is to happen everywhere. Everywhere. Wherever we're going, wherever we are, locally, far off. However, we see an emphasis here in our passage in Matthew. We're to go and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. This is important. We can't throw this away. There's emphasis. There's a global emphasis. Luke and Acts say the same thing. Luke 24. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, the gospel, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Not only do we see the heart of God for the nations in these verses, but we see a clear emphasis on global missions. This isn't to be to the detriment of local missions, but we see that God's heart beats for the nations. Why? Once again, because worship doesn't exist among the nations. God does not desire to be Lord merely of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, just as he does not desire to be Lord merely of La Mirada and Fullerton. No, God is jealous for the nations. He desires for them to know him and enjoy him forever. And so like he raised up Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 to be a light to the Gentiles, he has raised up us, his church, to go and make disciples of all nations. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we practically, intentionally, and regularly make disciples of all nations? This is a gigantic question, a daunting question. The possibilities are are overwhelming. And and so what do we do? How do we as as individuals, as as families, as a church, how do we participate? I, uh, I polled our Grace partners, and ask them, these people who have boots on the ground, who are doing missions in a very tangible way, how would you like to see us as a church participating in the mission of God in, great, in the Great Commission? How might we foster uh, a Great Commission living sort of lifestyle? Their answers were fantastic and, and so helpful for me personally, and, and I try to summarize their answers, and I'm going to give these to you now. These are practical ways we might participate in the mission of God. First, We recognize that the nations have come to us. Recognize that the nations have come to us. This is true of all of the United States, but this is especially true of Los Angeles. Los Angeles is one of the most ethnically and religiously diverse cities in the entire world, and it's only growing. For instance, in the past five years, LA has seen the population amongst Asian and African minorities increase at a dramatic rate. And it's only expected to continue to grow. Do you know who lives in Asian and African countries? The lost. 
the lost, people who have not heard the gospel, not believed in Jesus. These people, uh, people from all over the world, people who have not heard the gospel, many of whom have no access to the gospel, have literally become our neighbors. They have literally become our co-workers. They have literally become our classmates. They are in our backyards. And we have an incredible strategic opportunity to make disciples of all nations just by seeking to make disciples in our community, in the restaurants that we attend or that we, that we uh, visit, in the, in the classrooms that we participate in. The, the nations have come to us. What if we took advantage? What if we took advantage? What if we oriented our lives around the idea of making disciples of all nations? What if we oriented where we lived, where we worked, where we played, and where we ate around the idea of making disciples of all nations? Once again, we have an incredibly strategic opportunity. Let us not miss out on this. Let us take advantage. So what do we do? We recognize the nations have come to us. Second, we recognize that we are a part of the nations. We are a part of the nations. What we do right here on Sunday morning, what we do at Grace is a part of the Great Commission. When we gather in grace groups, when we seek to make disciples, when we gather together and bring the word to bear on one another, we participate. And so anytime, whether it be in grace group, whether it be at home, whether it be with our kids, with our husbands, with our wives, whether it be over the phone and text, whether it be across the table of, co- of sharing coffee together, anytime we help a brother or sister take up their cross and follow Christ, we are participating in the mission of God. Let us not forget that this very big mission is lived out in the day-to-day nitty-gritty of getting into each other's lives. And so let us intentionally and regularly give ourselves to one another. And I think this should be one that in particular overwhelms us because as a result of this very fact, we are a people who now know Christ because others have taken the Great Commission seriously. We have had the good news of the gospel heralded to us. And in a Romans 10 sort of way, we have beheld the beautiful feet of those who have come and preached the gospel, giving us the opportunity to believe in Jesus and now know Christ and be right with our creator. So let us rejoice in this and let us take advantage of the incredible opportunity we have to participate in this mission of God today, after this service, as you go home, as you eat lunch together today. We are a part of the nations. Third, Adopt a grace partner. Adopt a grace partner. If you don't know, uh, grace partners are uh, the missionaries uh, that we support here as a church. What would it look like for our church to come alongside our grace partners in such a way that they never hurt for prayers? They never hurt for financial support. They never hurt for friendship. What would it look like if we came along and tried to meet every one of their needs so that they could be totally freed up to pour themselves out for the sake of the gospel being known? I have a, a friend I was talking to here recently who serves in a cross, cross-cultural context, and he was telling me uh, about a story about how the Lord provided a car for him and his family. And he was telling me that it was over the course of several months, he had an unreliable car, he was driving his family around in it, his wife and his two kids. And, 
and he just felt really uncomfortable with, uncomfortable with it. So he was praying and he was seeking the Lord and asking for provision and, and just trying to finagle his way so that he can get a reliable vehicle. And God, sure enough, made a way in this miraculous sort of way to get him a car. And, and on one hand, I rejoiced with him that he was able to experience God's miraculous provision in the way that he did. There was something amazing about that and sweet about that. And he experienced God's grace in that. At the very same time, my heart broke as I considered that my friend drove around in an unsafe environment with an unsafe car with his wife and his kids, these, these amazing things that the Lord has entrusted him to, and he drove around when somebody in our context could have taken care of that need in five minutes. So often we're waiting for God to miraculously provide and we think that's just the way that he should be doing it for missions and we fail to recognize that God's normative way for provision is through the church. Let us make sure, let us ensure that the people of God are being taken care of. Let us seek to allow our grace partners to be freed so that they may not have to devote time and energy to making sure that they have a reliable car to take their kids around in, instead that they could go and herald the good news of Jesus and make disciples. What would it look like if we made sure that as individuals, as families, as grace groups, as small groups, that we met the needs of our people? Once again, the reality is that there are a host of ways that we might participate. The possibilities can be overwhelming. Two quick ways. First, pray. Pray. Pray for the nations uh, and pray for the partners of grace. Uh, you, you all received a, a, a prayer guide in your, um, in your bulletin this morning. Take those. Allow those to, to be something that serves you and informs your prayers. Put them on your refrigerator and, and pray before you eat meals, or if you do devotions and family devotions, use those and pray for, for our people. Pray for these people who are seeking to make disciples of all nations. Not only that, but two, connect with our Grace Partners Committee. Uh, a simple email will uh, allow you to have incredible information on how to practically participate. You'll be informed on how to pray, on how to give, where money goes to. You'll be informed about uh, short-term mission trips, and the list goes on and on and on. You can practically participate just by asking some questions and getting in touch with our people. So take advantage. Regardless of how we participate, we must participate. Once again, to refer to the Hudson Taylor quote, participation in this mission, this is a command to be obeyed rather than a proposition to be considered. We must participate. And so let us be a people who are praying as individuals, as families, and as a church on how to participate in this mission. When I consider the church, when I consider us as grace, I would so love it if we could be uh, people who visit all of our Grace partners. I would love it if all of our Grace partners were visited by a group from Grace within the next two years. I would love it if every single person in our community was in some sort of formal discipleship, whether that be Grace group or a small group or something, where we are being discipled and we are therefore making disciples as well. I'd so desire that we would be such a generous church. We would so love to give that we would never have budget issues. Instead, we would be people who are able to give 25, 35, 45, 50% of our budget to missions. How incredible would that be? Let us 
prayerfully consider how we might participate. Not as a way to, to offload responsibility to a later date, but to earnestly seek the Lord and how we are to participate in this amazing and glorious mission that he has involved us in. Let us participate. And finally, I want to move and consider when we do participate, what happens? What do we receive when we participate? What happens when we are undone in worship to our holy God and we respond to his gospel by actually participating in the mission of God? This is our third and final point. Why do we participate? Because God uses our participation to deepen dependence on him. He uses our participation to deepen dependence on him. Now we move to the promise of the Great Commission. Verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's commission to his church begins with God and it ends with God. There's a sandwich here. There are bookends here. The emphasis is on God. This is God's mission. Not only does the church go in the authority of Christ, but it goes with the presence of Christ. We see this realization, even if we were just to turn a few chapters into the book of Acts, we see the Spirit being poured out on His church, and we see them obediently going in light of that and making disciples of all nations. I'd like for us to just focus our attention on, for a moment, though, on the gift and the blessing promised within the Great Commission. Not only is God gracious in giving us His mission, but He gives us Himself, His very own presence to enable the mission. This is a blessing from God. This is the grace of God communicated to us. In fact, this is truly the good news of the gospel. Rather than receiving the penalty, the just penalty for our sins, the just wrath of God, we get God himself to know and enjoy and to cherish. It's true that all believers everywhere uh, if you have bowed your knee to King Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, then you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Then you go from being an enemy to a beloved son, and you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. This is a wonderful promise and result of the gospel. But it has long been testified that those who participate in the Great Commission depend on the Spirit and therefore experience the Spirit in a special sort of way. And this is a grace of God. I've experienced this uh, just in the past couple of weeks in my own life. Many of you know that as, as a church, we, we send members from our youth group, students, leaders, and parents to Mexico every year for a short-term mission trip. Well, that trip happened just about two weeks ago, and so I and, and many of our people went down to Mexico, and it was just an incredible time. Well, if you were to back up a year, if you were to back up a year, I was in Mexico, and and we were with our, our missionaries that we, that we partner with, and we were at this church. And about five minutes before the service started, the missionary comes up to me and says, so do you want to preach tonight? I was like, uh, uh what? <laughs> no, uh, and I had no idea what to say. So in my hastiness to try to offload responsibility, I said, I, I can't right now. Maybe next year. He goes, okay. Well, uh, two weeks ago in Mexico was next year. And so uh, this missionary comes up and says, so you on for preaching? And so that, that was the day before or the, day, the morning of preaching. And, and come to find out the church has, 
has this expectation. They remember my hasty comment as well, so they're expecting me to preach. And so all of a sudden, I'm on the hook to preach a sermon that I haven't prepared for to a church. And not only that, but to preach a sermon to a church in a, that speaks a different language than me. I don't even come close to speaking Spanish. Uh, not only that, but to a church that, that has a different set of obstacles and barriers that they are dealing with every day than I deal with. While I'm not totally ignorant of the, of the way of living that this church goes through, I'm also not an expert. I don't know what it looks like to, to masterfully apply the scriptures to their lives. And so all I'm left to do in that situation is to depend on God. Say, Lord, I am insufficient in and of myself. And that's true anytime we preach, but that's especially true in a situation like this. I cannot do this on my own. Lord, help me. Lord, would you, by your spirit, empower this time? Would you show up in a magnificent and marvelous way that, that clearly demonstrates that you are God? And sure enough, in my weakness, I went and preached a sermon. Uh, wasn't the best sermon ever. But even in the midst of that, God used my weakness to build up his church and to bless his church. And he used that to strengthen my faith in Christ, to cause me to depend on the spirit in a way that I didn't depend on him previously. And it was sweet. It was amazing. Not only that, but since I got to experience that blessing, I decided to allow Caleb Grossman to experience the blessing just a couple days later because I was also supposed to preach on Wednesday, but I asked Caleb to do it instead. So he had a day to prepare, and he preached a much better sermon than I did and no doubt experienced all the same things and the same blessings as a result of participating. But we've experienced this so many times in our trips to Mexico. I, I can't help but think of several years ago we had a senior girl who was just floating around and, and standing uh, kind of on the side as, as visitation groups went out and as the gospel is preached. And every once in a while, there's a clear situation where we're going to herald the gospel, present the gospel. And, and the person she was with said, all right, you're up. I'll translate. You, you preach the gospel. And she nearly fainted. I mean, her legs were trembling, but she walked up and in her weakness, she depended on the Spirit and, and sought to faithfully proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again and now lives forever and he invites us into a right relationship with him by grace through faith. And, and in her weakness, this person received that good news and believed in Jesus. And all the while, her faith was strengthened. She was put in an uncomfortable situation where all she could do was rely on the Spirit. And God, like He always does, showed up and revealed Himself as faithful. This is what happens when we participate in the mission of God. There are so many different ways this happens. So many of us can testify to this, but this is what happens. God uses this to strengthen us, to cause us to depend upon Him, to have our faith increased. Once again, I ask the Grace Partners, people who are participating constantly in this, in what ways has your faith been strengthened? In what ways has this been a means of grace? In what ways have you grown through participation in the mission of God? They gave, they gave a lot of answers. I'm going to try to summarize these now. How do we grow? We see and we develop the heart of God. We see and we develop the heart of God. In missions, we see what God cares about. We see that God is jealous for people. He desires that none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. And we can see this right here in our passage. What message does Jesus give his disciples? 
It's not a message of of health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not a a message about how to live a satisfied uh, life in and of yourself. No, it's a message of go and take the good news of the gospel to all nations and make disciples. You see what he cares about just in the giving of the Great Commission. God's heart is for the lost, for the hurting, the broken. And we see this in missions. Not only that, but we see God's willingness to gloriously save and sanctify. We see God more clearly when we seek to make disciples. And, And not only that, but we can only see the heart of God for so long before we begin to develop God's heart. As one author said, our roots can only go so far down in the soil before our branches begin to spread out seeking to bless those around us. That's what we see here. When we see God on display, we can't help but have our heart change and be more like him. So how do we grow? We see and develop the heart of God. Second, we see the power of the gospel. We see the power of the gospel. The expectation implicit in the Great Commission is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. If you preach and proclaim the gospel, then you will make disciples of all nations. Many of us have a faith problem, and I am chief amongst this number, but we have a faith problem. We don't truly believe God's word when it says that if you preach, if if you proclaim the gospel, then it truly is the power of God for salvation. If we did believe that, then we would be recklessly sharing the gospel all the time. But we don't. We don't believe this. We need to have our faith strengthened. We need to to believe in the word of God. And when we participate in missions, when we read missionary accounts and we see the good news of the gospel going out and people coming to know Christ in a saving way, when we see the gospel go out in Mexico and we see these people be undone with their sin and undone in that God lavishes his grace in the person and work of Jesus, when we see those people that we have prayed for for years and years and years be transferred over to the kingdom of light, when we see these things, when we experience these things, we can't help but have our convictions that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes strengthened. And we can't help but be compelled to actually go and proclaim the gospel wherever we are. And so participating in missions is actually a way that we have our theology strengthened. We actually believe in God and in his word. We actually believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So we see the power of the gospel. Third, we develop a gospel perspective. When we participate in the Great Commission, we participate in the main thing that God is doing in this world, the main thing that is happening in this world. The main thing that's happening in this world is not the Olympics, as cool as they are. It's not politics. But even these things, God gloriously uses to move and advance his mission forward. But no, the main thing that is happening in this world is the same thing that's always been happening. God is redeeming a people to himself forever through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When we seek to make disciples of all nations, we get this. and We begin to see the world rightly. We see things through spiritual or gospel eyes, no longer to the simple Things of this earth bug us like the way that they used to. No longer do the small things uh, become such big things to us. They become less annoying. Uh, People that we used to see as enemies and as issues become people to us. No longer do we functionally believe that this life is all there is. Instead, our refrain becomes to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. In Hudson Taylor's autobiography, he recounts a story of a man that he interacted with named Peter. He met Peter on a boat, and on this boat, he actually shared the gospel with Peter, and he wasn't quite sure how it landed. It seemed like he was open. It seemed like he was interested, but he just wasn't sure what happened there. And so he was talking with Peter, and he turned away, and he turned back, and Peter was gone. And he looked over the side of the boat and noticed that it seemed like somebody had just fallen in the water. And so he doesn't see anybody come up, so he jumps and he dives headlong into the water. And he searches, and he can't find him. So he comes up, and he notices there are some fishermen, some fishermen a little way off. He says, please come help. Someone is drowning. Someone's dying. Please come help. And the fishermen look at Hudson Taylor in the water, searching for a man. And they say, it's not convenient. We're fishing. And so Hudson Taylor, what do you mean it's not convenient? A man is dying. He's drowning. Come help. And they say, sit there for a minute. And they consider. So well, how much will you pay us? Pay you $5, anything. Come help. That's not enough. How about $20? Anything. A man is dying. So eventually they lazily row over and they have all this fishing equipment and they throw it in and sure enough, within a minute, they recover the dead body of Peter who had already drowned. Later, Hudson Taylor wrote this. Is it so hard-hearted So wicked a thing to neglect to save the body. Of how much more severe a punishment then is he worthy who leaves the soul to perish? Who like Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord Jesus commands me, commands you, my brother, and you, my sister. Go, says he, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Shall we say to him, no, it's not convenient. Shall we tell him that we are busy fishing and cannot go? That we have bought a a piece of ground and cannot go? That we have purchased five yoke of oxen or have married or have engaged in other and more interesting pursuits and cannot go? Before long, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. My friends, My brothers, my sisters, will we be a people and will we be a church that consumes ourselves with convenience, with fishing, while others perish apart from knowledge of Christ? Or will we, in light of the gospel, compelled by the glory of God, will we give ourselves to the mission of God? There is only one answer to this. There's only one answer to this. We go and we make disciples. We go armed with the authority of Christ and we go with the presence of Christ and we go with the power of the gospel. We jump in the water and we seek to make disciples of all nations. I'd like us to take a moment and close um, just by offering prayers to the Lord. Father, we praise your holy name. You're the good and gracious God. A God who is abounding in steadfast love. A God who has seen fit to to draw people like us to yourself. Save us by grace through faith in Christ. And Lord, we are glad and we thank you uh, for this marvelous gift of love. 
Lord, would you compel us uh, by your love, um, uh, by your, your glory to, to go and make disciples? Lord, would you undo us? Uh, would you give us spiritual lies? And would you cause us to see this world rightly so that we see the urgency of this mission? Lord, we desire to be faithful. Uh, we need your help, though. And so please, uh, by your Spirit, give us wisdom, uh, give us creativity, uh, allow us to have the sort of energy and boldness that are necessary uh, to, to go and participate well. Uh, more than anything, Lord, we pray that it would be a spirit-empowered endeavor and that you would help us. Lord, thank you for this opportunity uh, to, to herald your word and to sit under your word. May you use it now for your glory amongst the nations. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.